A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Two Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yudi Gabriel with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites and in honor of the upcoming yard site of Rabarin Cutler. We'll talk a little bit about him and uh, some of the facets of this really amazing multifaceted individual and leader and uh, great Rosh Hashiva, Rabarin Cutler. So who who was the who's the real Reb Aaron? And that seems to be uh, a debate still. So I'm not gonna uh, um, get get too involved in that debate, but just talk about a little bit about the different sides of Reb Aaron. Um, the main role that he seems to have been have, that seems to have remained in the collective memory, especially in certain parts of of um, the yeshiva world is that he was the Rosh Yeshiva of Lakewood and he started a Kail in America and he promoted a Torah-only approach to remain in learning and uh, they even have books about the legacy of Rabaran Cutler describing that and and that is, is his only and true legacy. Um, that definitely was one aspect of his legacy, that's undeniable. He was a great builder of Tyra. He started, uh, he actually didn't start. Nassim Wachtweigel started in the White Plains, but eventually moved to Lakewood. And, well, it was still in White Plains, and Nassim Wachtweigel invited uh, Rabarin to give Shior. That's really the history of Lakewood. Um, so he built one of the main builders of Tyra in America in the post-war period. Um, and we see... The results today, of course, Lakewood, and it's not just Lakewood itself, but the many yeshivas that have come from it. But that's one aspect. There's other. He's also the head of the Agudas Yisrael in America. He was the head of the Mayetzes Gedele Hatayra of Agudas Yisrael. And that already started, his participation in the Agudas Yisrael started already in the pre-war period, when he was the Rashiva in Kletsk in Poland. He was an active member of Agudas Yisrael, he participated in the third Knesia Gedailo of Agudas Yisrael in Marienbad in Czechoslovakia. And when he came to America, he um, guided Reb Meishe Sherer, the president of Agudas Yisrael, 
um, in Aguda ideals, in what the leadership of Aguda Yisrael should be, what the goals, what the vision should be in building it up. He was the head of the Mayatzis Gedele Hatar of Aguda Yisrael of America. And uh, Rabbi Shishar said he never met an Agudist, a bigger Agudist than Rabbi Cutler. And Rabbi Shishar said, the why am I his only student in Agudas Yisrael? And other people are his Talmidim in starting yeshivas and becoming Rashi Yeshiva, but I'm his student as an Agudist. He said, because Rabbaran felt that the priority after the war is to build Taira. And he also wanted to build Agudas Yisrael, but he didn't invest his primary energies in it. Okay. So that was Rabbi Shishara's perspective of Rabbi He also was a leader of his people in, in the greater sense. He was a constant fundraiser. He was always involved in loads of different projects. He was in the heads of Tyre Masaira. He was close with all kinds of people and organizations. He was close with RJJ. He used to give a shear there once in a while. Marvin Heyer told me that he used to drive him from Borough Park to the Lower East Side to speak at RGJ occasionally. He was a he was involved in all sorts of organizations in America and Eretz Yisrael. He started Chinuch which I'll get to hopefully later in this episode. He was actually after his father-in-law, Rabbi Sezalman Meltzer, who was originally the Rav in Rashiva in Slutsk. And when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he was the Rashiva in Eitzchayim, Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. So when he passed away in 1953, one essentially the one who was chosen to replace him was Ryan Cutler, who was living in America. And what he would do is he would come often to Eretz Yisrael, as often one, as one could come in the 1950s and early 60s, which was not very often. It was at most once a year, it was usually even less, once every couple of years. And he would be, he would stay for quite a bit of time each time, he would stay for a couple of months at a time, and he would give... Shiurim in Eitz Chaim. So he was officially the Rosh Hashiva in Eitz Chaim. He got involved in the Israeli elections. And he got involved in the Payale Agudas Yisrael here in Eretz Yisrael. So he tried to keep them part of the parent organization of the Aguda here in Eretz Yisrael. He, um, again, he fundraised for everything he was involved in. He was always on the road fundraising for his stuff in Eretz Yisrael, for his stuff in America, for all the different yeshivas and organizations that he was involved in. He was constantly fundraising and he was always busy. During the war years, he was involved, he was a rescue activist. He was the head of the Vat HaTzala, which is along with Irving Bunim, which is his right-hand man in many, many projects. Um, also Stephen Klein, who both of them were very involved afterwards in Chinuch and the Lakewood Yeshiva, two famous laymen, who are really stories in themselves, who are what they were able to. When Irving Bunim passed away, his he was ready after Abaran had died. He he was ready, when Reb Schneer was the Rashiv in Lakewood. Reb Schneer had his Levaya leave the base medrash of Lakewood, which was unusual, uh, an honor to accord a layman, a balabas, not a Rosh Hashiva. After all said and done, all what I mentioned is Reb Aaron. In the post-war, during the war, post-war, once he arrived in America, and it's really a minority of his life, the majority of his life was pre-war, and that's a whole other story inside of Rabarin Cutler, when he was in a young bacher in Slabatka, when he learned in Slutsk, and he was Rashiv in Kletsk, 
he he had a whole career then. Most of the Torah that we have from Rebaran comes from his pre-war. He was too busy fundraising after the war, and uh, and 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 rebuilding. And he had this mission to go on. And most of the Torah we have is actually from his pre-war period. In fact, I I was um, I had the privilege of interviewing um, a elderly student of Rabbi Aaron Cutler living in Yerushalayim today. He, his name is Rabbi Yankel Schiff. He's the son-in-law of the Briskarov. He's one of the only children of the Briskarov who is still alive. And we went down to his home and uh, asked him a little, said Rabbi Aaron Cutler's uh, yard site is coming up. Can I ask you a little bit about Rabbi Aaron? One of the stories he said was how he was part of an elite Chabura by Rabbi Aaron, not the regular shear that Rabbi Aaron gave. There was a special Chabura that he gave to a, a select group of, of Talmidim in the Lakewood Yeshiva, in, the, in Beis Medrash Gavaya. And it was in Rabaran's apartment that he stayed, or the office that he stayed when he was in Yeshiva. He lived in Bara Park. He would only come to Yeshiva for weekends and sometimes for a night during the week. And the phone would always be ringing. He was always involved in something, in some project, in some fundraiser, in some planning a parlor meeting or some road trip to fundraise. So the phone was always ringing, and Rabaran would always answer the phone, even if he was in the middle of a chabura and teaching his Talmidim, and he would always answer the phone, and he would speak, interrupt, and speak on the phone, and discuss whatever needs to be discussed. He would hang up the phone and continue from exactly where he was speaking about, and he would be delving into very deep uh, Talmudic analysis, deep sugyas, wherever he was holding, he continued from the same word, the same sentence that he had uh, that he had ended with, and uh, he didn't miss a beat. And that was also the genius of Rabban. He was an undisputed genius. He was a brilliant man, very quick, very sharp, very lightning quick. When he spoke, he he spoke in this very uh, machine gun like uh, speech, very like shot out his words, and always with an energy. He was you know a fireball of energy. He never rested, never. Never stopped for a second. People who were half his age had trouble keeping up with him when he was running around uh, doing all his stuff. So this uh, story that Rabbi Yankel Schiff related definitely il- illustrates the dual purpose of Rabban in the post-war and his teaching Torah and building Torah. And on the other hand, his, his uh, being involved in fundraising and organizations. And the two go together. And as soon as he hangs up the phone, he's able to continue his shear as if nothing had happened. Now, he, the, um, he, he was building a world that had been destroyed. He was in the United States in the post-war era. I remember uh, Rabbi Wein related that he, uh, he and his father, Velvel Wein, who was a rub in Chicago and was a Talmud of Rabbi Shimon Shkup, they were on the East Coast and they were visiting Rabbi Aaron Cutler and they visited him in his Lakewood Yeshiva. And this is 1953 when Lakewood was tiny. And Rabaran is showing them around, and he's very proud of the yeshiva that he's in the process of building. And he says to Rebelbel Wine and his young son, Rabbi Wine, uh, he says to them, one day I hope to have a hundred Talmidim in this yeshiva. That was his dream. That was his vision. And we have to appreciate that. You know, he was fundraising at the time for Lakewood. Rabbi Wine continues by saying that a few years later he was fundraising for... Lakewood, and one day Rabbi Wine, who was a lawyer at the time, it was before he became a rabbi, 
he was in Chicago and he gets a phone call and he gets on the phone and there's this heavy uh, Litvish Yiddish Redda Kotler Kotler is speaking and last year when I came to Chicago to fundraise you gave me $10 for my yeshiva this year I'm old and sick and I'm too weak to make the trip out to Chicago and I'm asking you can you send the $10 in the mail and that's how, 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 how desperate the rebuilding of the yeshiva world was going at the time. And it took people like Rabarin Cutler with the, the dedication to, to sit there on the phone and make an appeal like that. You know, it's, it's, it's demeaning. It's, 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 it's out of desperation. It's, it's even $10 for short today sounds like a little, and we can try to convince ourselves that $10 then was probably like $10 million today, but it wasn't $10 million today. $10 wasn't a lot then either. And uh, it's with those little $10 and that persistence and dedication of Rabaran Cutler and the endless vision and the endless energy that he had that he was able to build and accomplish what he did. My wife's grandfather learned by Rabaran in, in, in the beginning of the war, actually, and when he ran to Vilna, he joined Rabarin's yeshiva, which had been the Kletsk yeshiva. It was no longer in Kletsk. It was in, it was in Yanova and Salak. It had split into a couple of parts. So he joined the Salak faction, and he was a Talmud of Rabarin Cutler for over a year of his Kletsk yeshiva that was now in exile at the beginning of the war. So when he came, when he, you know, he went through Shanghai, my wife's grandfather, when he came to America after the war, he rejoined his Rebbe, Rabarin Cutler's yeshiva, the new yeshiva in Lakewood. And he was married. He came there as a married Koilul guy, one of the first ones. And he was also from the pre-war guy. He wasn't an American coming to learn in Lakewood. He was. He had learned by Rabarin when he was still the Klatska Rosh yeshiva. So he said he was really there in the beginning. And at the end of his life, when I discussed this with, with him, uh, he told me that today, this is what he said, this is exactly the way he said it. He said, today, I have more grandchildren living in Lakewood than there were Talmidim of the Lakewood Yeshiva when I learned there in the 1940s. And that's uh, both the accomplishment of him and his family of rebuilding, so it's really a story about uh, Reb Simchan Adborni, my wife's grandfather, but it's also a story of what Lakewood looked like then, and we know what it looks like today, and how much was accomplished. You know, and also to put things into perspective, I remember when um, when uh, Rabbi Yosef Tendler from Baltimore uh, passed away. So someone sent me a story with Rabbi Yosef Tendler, who was a Talmud, who was a student of Rabbi Cutler in Lakewood in the 1950s, and he said we have to learn to appreciate how much has been accomplished in the rebuilding of Tyra in America. And he, to illustrate that, he's related the story, Rabbi Yosef Tendler, of when he was in Lakewood, they served in Lakewood of Rabarin Cutler in the 1950s, they served Cholov Stam milk. And I'm definitely not getting into the halachic question of Cholov Stam and yes or no, and that's, and that's not my subject. And everyone does do whatever, you know, whatever you feel is right. But, um, but, um, it, it, he's, that's what they served in Lakewood Yeshiva by Baron Cutler. That was the milk that they had. So, so he said that, uh, that, that, um, his grandson lived in Lakewood. Or basically, Tyler said his grandson lives in Lakewood of today, of the last few years. 
And he, his grandson had told his Rebbe that his grandfather was a Talmud of Baron Cutler, and he said that they served Chol of Stam milk in Lakewood. And his Rebbe told him, your grandfather is making a mistake, it can't be, he's wrong. Maybe his memory is wrong, maybe you misunderstood him. It can't be that by Baron Cutler they served Chol of Stam milk. So he went back and told his grandfather. And his grandfather said, it's a pity that we have to revise history that uh, to, to, to fit the ideals of today, where Chal of Yisrael milk is so accessible and they would never even dream of serving Chal of Stam milk, Chas Shalom and Lakewood Yeshiva. But when I was there, this is what they did. And the importance of understanding that is, is that we see how much we've accomplished and how much, how, how the situation has changed, how Jewish life has changed, how things that we take for granted today were not to be taken for granted in the 1950s. And in order to appreciate our accomplishments, we definitely have to gain a perspective of, of what, what the situation was then, and, therefore, and, and there's nothing to be gained by revising history. One of the uh, major uh, initiatives that Rebaran Cutler was involved in was Chinuch What happened was that the Israeli government decided to get rid of the fourth stream of the educational system, that the Agudas Yisrael schools, um, and Rebaran Cutler, along with other Jewish leaders felt that they have to have an independent in Hebrew. It's, it's an independent education and uh, in, independently funded, obviously. That's what independent means. It actually is, was and is partially funded by the government, but the idea was that they would have to fund part of it themselves to be able to sustain it and keep their own curriculum. And Rabban took the initiative of founding the Chinuch Atzmai. You're talking about someone who is living principally in America. And here he takes responsibility for the educational future of tens of thousands of children living far away in Eretz Yisrael because he felt that, that he has to do it because no one else is going to do it. And he, and he, again, with the endless energy that he had, he goes ahead and embarks on this new project. And he has a bunch of lieutenants. He has people who he works with. And he worked with a diverse group of laymen, very dedicated individuals, and, and he, he got them going. And these people were drawn to him, they, they were in awe of him, and they, they went along with his, with his vision because they believed in him and what he stood for. People like Irving Bunim, Stephen Klein, who I mentioned, and uh, Yubad Chaim Marvin Schick, who is still alive, was someone who was very close with the Baron Cutler and many projects, including Chinuch Atzmai. Uh, of course, the late Zev Wolfson, who was very close with, with her Baron, especially in Chinuch Atzmai. He, he got congressional help. He had, was able to develop connections with senators and the Secretary of State, John Foster Dulles, and a whole fascinating story about getting government funding to be able to provide for the Israeli government on condition that would go towards Jewish education. A whole story how he was able to pull off this funding when Zev Wolfson was in his 20s at the time, and he does this together with Rebaran. And Rebaran actually wrote a letter following that. There's a, 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 a video I saw recently that's online about this 1956 Chinuch Atzmai dinner that I'm going to mention in a second that has this letter that Rabaran Cutler sends to the Lutzkarov, Reb Zalman Saraskin, about Zev Wolfson and what he was able to accomplish on behalf of Chinuch Atzmai when they worked together for that initial fundraising campaign. There was a, there, again, another person who's still alive, Yifbadul Chaim, 
uh, a guy named Henech Kohn, who was in charge of Henech Hatzmai then and organizing it then, who also talks about Rabaran's leading role. And um, Mo Fierstein from, uh, from Boston was a major fund, funder of Henech Hatzmai then, all part of people who Rabaran got involved. And the first, one of the first initiatives that Rabaran did was to make a dinner, an inaugural dinner for Chinuch in 1956. And the, this dinner is in a certain way a high point, a, not only a happy point, but a high point of unity uh, amongst the traditional elements of the Jewish community to be able to join forces from all different diverse backgrounds for the cause of the future of educa- edu- Jewish education in the new state of Israel. Because Rabbi Aaron invited as the guest of honor for this inaugural dinner of Rabbi Yosha Ber Salavachik, Rashiva of Rabbi Yitzchak YU at the time, Rav of Boston, and he was going to be the guest of honor. And he came along, he came on board. Think about it, Rabbi Yosha Ber had left the Aguda following the war and the Holocaust, which is also a whole story. He joined the Mizrahi, whatever his role was in the Mizrahi, which is also a story, honorary president, president, whatever, with the Mizrahi. And Rabbi Cutler was the head of the Aguda, the head of the Mayatzis G'dayla Torah. By the way, many of the laymen who I mentioned were more affiliated with the Mizrahi and they were definitely not affiliated with the Aguda. None of those who I mentioned were affiliated with the Aguda. Some were outright with the Mizrahi. Irene Buna was the leader and head of the Young Israel Movement, which was closely affiliated with the Mizrahi, Stephen Klein, definitely Mel Feirstein, and, and of course, Rabbi Yashabar himself. Rabbi Aaron knew how to work with people from different, this is not about politics, this is not about Zionism, this is not about political beliefs, this is about the future of Jewish education. So what difference does it make? These are people who know how to work. They believe in the Jewish people. They believe in the power and the unity of the Jewish people. And they believe in Mesiris Nefesh for the Jewish people, for Jewish causes. And there, all these people come together. And at the actual dinner, which was organized by Henoch Cohn, by Stephen Klein, by Mo Fierstein, and Irving Bunim is the main speaker. He was a very powerful speaker. There's a recording of this. On that video that I mentioned, you hear... You hear Irving Bunim speaking. You can hear him, in, and he's a powerhouse. He was an amazing Askin uh, activist for many, many projects, also in the Varat Sola during the war. And, uh, and you hear also the recording of Rabbi Shabers, the Rav's the Rav speech. And he gives like this whole hespit on Rabbi Aaron Cutler. He said, the reason that I got involved in Hil is because this elder Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Aaron, and how much he he's dedicated to it, and how much he electrifies people around him, and he's giving this whole, this whole, uh, uh, this whole praise of Rabaran. And during that time, Rabaran start tried to stop him and say, "Don't, don't say these things about me in in public, and don't stop praising me. It's okay. That's not what we're here for." And Rabbi Yashaber keeps going, and it's it was really a a beautiful moment where. There's tens tens of thousands of Jewish children who they're trying to build a framework of education, of Torah education. And and here Rabbi Yashaber, the great people, two great people, Rabbi Aaron Cutler and Rabbi Yashaber, come together to, to, to carry it out and to be there for each other and for the Jewish people. Because at the end of the day, what these great people, what mattered to them was the future of Chinuch, was the future of Torah. And all the 
all the party affiliations had no relevance in the, in that context. So that was just a little bit about the Chinuch Hatzmai dinner of 1956, which in itself, just that dinner, that high point of unity, is is can be elaborated upon and 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 told more of a story. Rabbi Cutler and his many projects. There's much more to that story. The the people that he that that were around him, like I mentioned, some of whom, that's also something to elaborate on their role in building um, uh, Torah projects in the United States and Israel and Hatzalah during the during rescue during the Holocaust and uh, and all this. There's there's more to talk about, but that's just a little taste in honor of Rabbi Aaron Cutler's yard site. We go visit Rabbi Aaron Cutler sometimes on Haramanuchis and Haramanuchis tours. We talk about Rabbi Aaron Cutler when we go to Kletsk in Belarus. In fact, we go into Rabbi Aaron Cutler's house next to the yeshiva, and the and the groups always get very excited. And they take pictures in front of the house, and I ask them. Most of them come from the United States. I ask them if they ever went down to Borough Park and took pictures in front of Rabbi Aaron Cutler's house in Borough Park. When they say no, because every single one of them. No one ever did. So I say, you should know that he lived longer in his house in Borough Park than he did in his house in Kletsk. So, but of course, I don't uh, give tours in Borough Park. So we have the trips and tours, which you can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com. This is Yudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me uh, for questions, comments, sources, trips and tours. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, don't miss an episode. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And I hope you enjoy.